Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to another episode of Be My Beard Podcast. Um, this week's episode does require trigger warning. We talk about things like mental illness, child abuse, sexual assault, domestic abuse, rape, and self-harm. Please shut us off if this episode will negatively affect you. You are important and we really do care about you. Hello friends, Editor Miles here. At the end of last week's episode, Izzy talked about how her grandma would try to kidnap her as a child, and to prevent that, how her mom tried to get a restraining order. And that's where we're picking up this week. So we eventually get the restraining order, but it's a whole year of my mom. My mom stopped eating. She lost a shit ton of weight. She'd always been overweight, but she lost so much weight because she just like couldn't eat. She wouldn't talk to any of us she would spend all of her time in her bedroom by herself just like emotionally going through a lot of shit which like is reasonable like she was you know leaving her mother as much as we were leaving our grandmother but it just meant that my dad and I were kind of left to try to like take care of my brother and my dad was still working he was a truck driver he was gone a lot like and so it fell on me, a 10-year-old, to try to help take care of my three-year-old brother, which didn't go well because, like I said, I had anger management issues and I was dealing with my life falling apart, what felt like my whole life falling apart. And you were also a child. I was also 10. Um, I, was also, I was a 10-year-old whose life was ending, living in fear, my mom being unavailable and everyone around me being scared and angry all the time. Fuck. Yeah. So that was a big part of growing up for me. And that was like when my childhood dramatically changed. And then I went to middle school, which just fucking sucks. Yeah, middle school is arguably, not arguably, factually, the worst time of anybody's entire life. 100%. And then to add on to it, I was like relatively popular in the fifth grade, like as much as an elementary school kid can be. Like I had a great group of friends. That was very Leo of you. <laughs> I know. Great group of friends. Like, you know, and I was so excited. Like I thought middle school would be great. All of my friends moved away. So oh, I go into middle school because it's like, you know, like there's all the elementary schools and they all come together to one middle school. And I was the only kid in my class from that elementary school that I, like, knew at all. So, like, I was in the gifted program because, don't forget, I'm smart, but not as smart as my mother. Mm -hmm. Um, Gifted program. And I was the only kid in there that had gone to my my elementary school. So I knew nobody. And I'd just gone through this experience with my grandmother. I was scared all the time. I was lashing out. So, six grade seventh eighth grade passed I made some friends I was still you know not what my mom wanted I did the like emo kid phase I listened to a lot of three days grace oh my god so there's middle school so now we're gonna jump into arguably one of the worst years of my life I'd like to bring up again that like throughout my entire childhood and this is something I didn't realize until much later My father protected me from my mother in ways that I didn't understand 
until I got older. My mother wanted to put me in a box. My mother wanted me to be smart. She wanted me to be quiet. She wanted me to be strong, but in ways that were acceptable for her. A 50s white woman, but not as much. Like a feminist 50s white woman, I guess. Because she wanted me to be powerful, but in her way of powerful. Like, get a good job, get a good education, make do something intellectual that, like, reflects well on the world. Do important research. Something like that. That's what she wanted so for me. She wanted me to make something of myself, but she wouldn't give me anything to do that. And anything I was, like, taught to do, like, anything I was good at, like, singing. I loved to sing. So I was immediately put in a prestigious children's choir and I had to train all the time. And if I was singing at home, if it wasn't on key, she would make me stop and do it again. And if my breath control was wrong, I had to stop and do it again. So, And anytime I was speaking, if I was not sounding intelligent enough, she would stop me and make me say it again. It was your mother's decision to put you through this prestigious school, not your father's. It was, I wasn't in a prestigious school. I was in a prestigious choir. Uh, yeah, I was in public school. Choir, sorry. Yes. My dad was much more like, let her play, let her sing, let her do art projects. It doesn't matter if she's winning first place in anything. It doesn't, like, let her be a child. And he just wanted to love us. So did you did you develop a, I guess, fear of failure because of how your mom was No, I responded you? by saying, fuck you. I'm going to fail. Did you cuss as a child? Absolutely, all the time. Um, my mom also thought that it was fine for children to cuss at home. She had no issue with that. Um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) she had a few things, right? Um, I guess the other thing I forgot what I was going to say now. I think cursing is just a colorful way of expressing intense emotion that a lot of people are uncomfortable with because of societal norms for cussing. But if I was only if I like was swearing while I was yelling, I just, the way that you've described your relationship with your mother and your childhood so far, it kind of reminds me of like a chess game. Like your mother tries to structure you in some kind of way, but then you deviate from that and you start to do your own thing. Like for example, you're singing. Like you start expressing yourself in a new way. So your mother tries to take that and structure it in a way that she believes is correct or the way Mm -hmm. that she believes it should be done. And then I imagine the way that your growth and your story is going, something else is going to happen in which like you're going to grow in another way. And she's going to try and take that and turn it into like her own thing, her own accomplishment. Yeah, Yeah. she's using your individual individuality in a way to box you in. So that she has more control. Completely. It was always about control for her. Um, there really was something else I was going to say and I forgot it. The last I lost thing my thing that thought. I feel like you were talking about was like your dad was protecting you and helping you try to structure your own freedom. Yeah. In terms of your singing and in terms of you expressing yourself. And just I being a to, child. Yeah, yeah, just being a child. Like... My dad would let me sit on his lap and he'd brush my hair every morning. Like, I know that that sounds so small, but like, that was like my morning every day was my dad brushing my hair. You know, there's this interesting um, statement that that reminds me of by an artist that I really enjoy where as a child growing up, there's something really beautiful that you take for granted 
in experiences such as that such as like somebody brushing your hair or washing your hair for example like somebody doing that for you versus now where like you kind of have to do that for yourself Mm -hmm. like you sort of don't really appreciate the beauty of those things that you experience in your childhood from somebody who wants to just do something for you purely because they love you and for no reason other than that the other like one like story that always just like kind of like I think illustrates this too is like my dad got a vasectomy at some point um because they weren't having any more kids and I remember the day it was the day after his vasectomy and I was still really young I was probably it was not long after my brother was born so I was like seven or eight and I jumped into my dad's lap for him to brush my hair and he didn't push me off so he had just had a vasectomy. He's still in pain. And he lets me still, he still lets me jump into his lap and he brushes my hair in what I'm sure was agony for him. I'm going to cry talking about my dad because I always cry talking about my dad. That's really sweet, though, that so that's he like, that's hid like his the, pain to give you the comfort that you he needed. He was the, until for so long, even like well into my teenage years, he would hold me in his lap while I sobbed, which is all I fucking needed is like I needed somebody to let me fall apart and my dad was the only person who let me fall apart because my mom you can't fall apart you have to keep it together all the fucking time you have to like have it together you have to be perfect everyone needs to think you're perfect all the time that's not healthy it's not healthy but that's what it was and my dad my dad and I would scream at each other my dad had a temper too and we'd scream at each other and then we'd be fine My dad, when my mom was being especially hard on me, would take me to Denny's and we would eat hot chocolate and eat hot chocolate, drink hot chocolate and eat French fries. And we would he would just let me talk and just talk about whatever I wanted. And he wouldn't correct my grammar. He just let me talk. He just I used to go on the truck with him and I'd go on trips with him. And it was just like your dad was a good listener. My dad was a great listener. And. He was a good teacher. He wasn't college educated or anything like that. He was a truck driver, but he could make friends with anybody. He could laugh with anybody. He could joke with anybody. He was my rock. He was the thing that kept me sane because I detested my mother. I thought she was nothing to emulate. I thought that her entire goal for me was idiotic and I just wanted to get out of the house and move away from her and figure out how to be my own person because I even knew at 10 years old that I couldn't figure out how to be my own person in her house. And my dad supported that. So with that wonderful foreshadowing, we're going to enter the worst year of my life. Did you give good advice? He gave great advice. How old were you during the worst year of your life? This is going to be, I was 14. It was Uh, the summer before. (laughs) 14's fucking awful. It was the summer before I entered high school. Did you have breasts at this point? I did have breasts at this point. I developed quite early. Were they as voluptuous as they are now? No, I only had C's. I currently have triple D's. That's it? I know. You'd think they'd be more. To the listeners out there, Izzy's boobs are both audibly and visually appealing in every sense of all of the words. 
earlier we were talking about how you were entering the age of 14. Oh yeah, okay. And- I'm glad we had this fun little palate cleanser because things are about to get dark. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right, everyone buckle up. All right, so I'm 14. I'd already I'd started cutting at this point. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. No, 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 no. We're not going to gloss over that. <laughs> I'm sorry. You need to I'm so, you need to talk to us about that. So, so tell me, when That's did that me. start? Um, middle school. It was probably sixth grade, right after everything happened with my grandmother. So, can you explain to us what cutting is? Cutting is exactly what it sounds like. It's using a blade of some sort. Everybody has their own preferences in how they cut and where they cut. I cut on my thighs because I didn't want people to see it and because I never had suicidal thoughts. I never wanted to die. I never wanted to cut my wrists. Well, it wasn't that I was wanting to feel something. It was that I was feeling so many big emotions all the time and I wasn't allowed to express them and I needed to literally bleed it off. I didn't know how else to express all the fear and anger and sadness and all of this stuff that was exploding out of me because I wasn't allowed to cry. I wasn't allowed to scream. I would get in trouble if I did any of those things. So what else am I supposed to do except take the blades out of my pencil sharpeners and slice up my legs? How did you, how did you get to that place? Like, did you have an experience in which you saw somebody else doing that? There was like a, like a boy that I had a crush on, like wrote high on his arm with a tack in class. And I remember he just was like trying to be stupid and like wrote, uh, he was like, oh, it'll be like a tattoo. And then I asked, I told my mom about it. And my mom was like, that's called cutting. It's self-harm. It's when people are feeling too much. It's very dangerous. So, of course, you heard that and went, fuck you, mom. I know. Well, no, I heard that and I was like, feeling too many emotions, you say. <laughs> um, it wasn't even really a fuck you to my mom. It was very much a like, oh, feeling too many emotions. I also was burning stuff at this point. I had a little pyro box and I would like burn paper. Oh, I and did that stuff. shit too. Yeah. All of these are like sociopathic tendency type things. So, thanks, grandma. Um, Do you think that your mom did more of explaining things at you rather than helping you to understand things? 100%. Because she wanted me to intellectually understand things. She didn't care if I got it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I had I had a friend in high school. Also, we were 14. Mm-hmm. And she was cutting a lot. Her thighs, her arms. She always wore pants. She always wore long sleeves. And she got the courage one day to show me and I immediately thought that she was trying to kill herself. Yeah. I thought it was suicidal. And I, I was wrong. And I didn't know what to do. And I took the wrong action and went to the wrong person about this. I went to our teacher because I didn't know what to do. Because I didn't know enough about what she was doing you and why. You say something. Right. right. I mean, my, I, in my heart, I knew that, like the right thing to do was to say something, but I didn't say the right thing because I didn't understand. And now as an adult, I understand that cutting is a, a very different thing than trying to kill yourself. I know that they're in ways closely related, but not the same. 
I would I would say that cutting is almost a release. Um, for maybe that's because it was for me. Um, I mean, I was suicidal, but I never like used cutting to, um, you know, end it. It was more so like I couldn't physic or I couldn't like feel that pain, so I had to feel it physically. I had to see it. Right. That's how I was too. I liked watching it. I liked seeing that I was feeling something and there's also this like physical pain is distracting Mm -hmm. physical pain is easier to manage oh it's tangible yeah it's tangible it's easier to deal with than emotional pain especially given that i was being told that i couldn't feel my emotional pain and so cutting cutting was what did that for me um i was able to and even mine, like, I don't have many scars. They were very light. They weren't very deep. It was more... I also would then, like, clean them with alcohol to, like... Because I wanted it to hurt. I didn't want it to kill me. Right. And so that was, like, a very... Like, that was something that I definitely was doing for a while. How long were you cutting? Probably, like, 6th grade through 10th grade. On and off. And... Why did you, why did you stop? I realized it wasn't helping anything. I got a really good therapist in high school. um, And she really helped me deal with my emotions in a healthy way. And in a way that was like talking about them and like expressing them and feeling them. And... It was almost like I just, I didn't need it anymore. I figured out other ways. And also it just, it didn't help in the long run. It just like got to the point where it wasn't helping me anymore. And so I just, it just kind of like petered out and then I stopped doing it. Okay. So the other thing, well, the other thing I should talk about, because I do want to bring up the like spiritual things I experienced through all this throughout So in the sixth grade, I also started doing karate, which was my mother's idea. Of Uh, course, discipline. Apparently, it came to her from above, (laughs) uh, but not from God because we're agnostic. Um, But and then I came back with a card to a local karate school and it was fate and it was all because of her so I should be very grateful um and karate helped me tremendously so I started karate in the sixth grade and that was also I think that also played a big part in me not self-harming anymore because it was a physical outlet it was something I could physically do and also learning self-defense is so empowering there's something so incredible about like knowing that i could defend myself if i needed to and for a kid who had been scared most of her life of my grandmother of dying of the hospital of you know all this that was really wonderful to have something that gave me back that like a sense of power in my own life a sense of control a sense of confidence so i flourished in karate and eventually did go on to get my black belt, which is something like still one of my like most proud of Wait, achievements. Wait, hold on. You're a black belt? I'm a black belt in Kenpo Karate. That needs to be on your Tinder profile. I'm not sure why that's <laughs> not. Oh, <laughs> 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 
Like, wow. It's not on my Tinder profile because it feels like a braggy white guy thing to say. That's why it should be. They're going to be like, wow, I wonder how many fish she has. <laughs> That's exactly what they'll wonder. I'm really happy that you found an, a, a physical outlet to where you were able to, I suppose, place that sort of necessity to feel something physically. Like I, um, in high school, I dated somebody who cut herself and I immediately, I don't want to sound self-righteous. I immediately recognized it as something that needed to stop. There's, something about feeling the necessity to self-harm is a byproduct of something bigger of something that is solvable through other means feeling the need I to say s- solvable but there's like other outlets for sure right yeah that's that's I like I'm again I'm having a lot of trouble articulating myself as to what it is that I'm trying to say but I just, I know that self-harm isn't something that you should ever put yourself through. And it brings me so much sorrow hearing that you put yourself through that and experiencing other people in my life who have put themselves through that. Because a lot of it comes from like my my nature of wanting to be there for other people and wanting to help other people end their pain and helping myself end my pain. I've, you know, we have all experienced sorrow in one form or another and we all deal with that sorrow in different ways because we're all unique and... I just, if you ever feel the need or the necessity to self-harm, if you feel like there is no other way to express that pain or to let that pain out, just there's, especially in modern day society and the age of technology, there is always somebody that you can reach out to, always somebody that you can talk to there's always another avenue in which you can let that pain out. Um, I've never self-harmed myself, so I can't really attest to how it feels to self-harm, like you were expressing earlier as to how... I would just add that it's also... Even if I had, like, the technology we have today, I probably still would have, because it's a compulsion... Right. I think it's also important to note that self-harm is not just physical. I think it just, it mostly... The physical manifestation of self-harm is definitely less palatable and it's more tangible, but there's, you can far more destructively harm yourself beyond just cutting we are also to be clear not telling people they should self-harm no absolutely Um, not (laughs) we're also understanding that it is a very like complex and difficult issue that a lot of people struggle with i just i I just hearing it as your friend and hearing it as somebody who just cares about people as a general like i just it brings me so much 
sadness to hear that you and other people in your life have felt the need to express themselves in that way because they felt as if there was no other way in which they could let those feelings out. And I'm absolutely sure that somebody more knowledgeable can express what better way to let those feelings out. But I think it's important to be able to recognize signs of self-harm, whether they're physical, emotional, or otherwise, and underst- the important part is understanding why it's happening because you can't, you can't help somebody if you don't understand. And as soon as I started understanding why I was doing it, it became less of a compulsion. I also spilled Perrier down my cleavage right now. That's the sexiest <laughs> sentence we've heard tonight. <laughs> so that was fun. Or do you have any more questions? I We could go on for days about self-harm. I have so many, like, thoughts and opinions. We don't have to do that. Yeah. But, like, I think that I've been self-harming for a very, very long time. With alcohol? Wow. Okay. <laughs> Drag me for filth. That's where Bitch. No. Oh. Um, ma'am. No, I mean, I, I, we talked a little bit about it on, on my podcast episodes. You know, I self-harmed after I was sexually assaulted by abusing my body mm-hmm. um, sexually, you know, with the help of other people. Like, We're that, getting there in my story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that... So do our listeners. Self-harm just comes in so many different forms, yeah. and I think that being able to recognize it is the best best thing you can do as someone from the outside looking in it's not okay this looks bad let's stop why are you doing it Mm -hmm. because if you can't understand the why you can't provide meaningful help or guidance the why is very critical do you think that self-loathing and self-harm are synonymous no i didn't loathe myself i like had some hatred for sure like i had low like self-esteem But I also always knew that I just had to wait it out. I knew that sooner or later I would be out of that house. It gets better. Yeah. yeah. I hate that. But yeah, it just like I knew that as like I could I just had to hold on and I had a voice similar to the voice of like when I had my near death experience who would just tell me just hold on. And I always had this sense of like, I just need to hold on and I will get through this. I felt that too a lot during my adolescence. It was, I had a lot of, especially when I was coming to terms with my sexuality and what that meant for me, I had a lot of feeling of like, this, I can't go on living like this. But there was this voice, either internal, external, whatever, that just kept telling me, hold on. Because like we mentioned earlier, we all have a purpose and we all have a path, whether that's intermingled with somebody else's or, or not, but we're not there yet. Mason. Austin was my boyfriend. Mason was his best friend who was also dating my friend. Wait, Austin was your boyfriend? Austin was my boyfriend. More or less your first physical experience. Yeah. (laughs) Sexually, I guess yeah, like light heavy petting, heavy petting, petting. yeah. So over the clothes, over the clothes, like we were like figuring out each other's bodies still, right? In what I think was like a very healthy fourteen-year-old way. 
Um, so we were all like a tight knit group. We kind of talked about this. So it wasn't unusual for Mason to be texting me. Mason, your friend's boyfriend. My friend's boyfriend. Okay. Because also, I think Kenzie was out of town or something like that. Are you still friends with Kenzie? Absolutely not. Okay, cool. Because I've never met a fucking Kenzie that was not a cunt. Oh, this girl was psychotic. Say Um, cunt one more time. Cunt? Blessed. Okay. Okay, so Mason starts texting me. He has a rough life. His, like, between his parents and, like, you know, the normal, like, rough kid life stuff. Like, shitty parents that aren't really there. Right. Like, and he's Feeling talking, misunderstood. Feeling misunderstood. He's also 16. Oh, because so he's a couple years older. He's a couple years older. Austin was 15, and okay. I was 14. Mason was 16. Um, Definitely more of, like, a bad boy, I guess. Like Which one? Mason. Like, kind of grew up. Well, Austin, too, but much later. Um, so he starts texting me. He's talking about self-harm, like maybe feeling kind of suicidal. So I stay up really late, like talking to him and texting him. And like, he is like, oh, like Kenzie's out of town. Nobody's really here. Like you should come over. So I don't, so I'm not alone. Uh. I'm 14. I had a, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I go over. Wait, how'd you get there? Ooh, fun story. I got up and I caught the very first bus because he lived on the other side of town. I lived in the valley. I used to catch light rails for dick appointments. so close to my face right now. So I get up hella early. And as I'm walking out the door, my dad would sleep on a chair in the living room because my mom wouldn't let him sleep in the room with him. And it was like a relatively small house. So on the way out the door, I was like, hey, dad, I'm going over to a friend's thing. Bye. And he's just like, ah, like, you know, he didn't really wake up. What time is this? Who's like 5.30 a.m. So it's like super early in the morning. I'm catching like the first bus of the day to go across town. I have to catch like two different buses. I get there and it's still like 6.30, 7 o'clock. In the morning. In the morning. And I'd also been up all night like talking to him till like 4 a.m. Oh, so we talk a little bit more. He puts on some movie and I fall asleep on his couch. Uh-huh. I, this is also the summer. I'm wearing shorts. I wake up and he has pulled my shorts aside and he is having sex with me. That is what I wake up to. I consciously remember thinking... If my power as a woman is saying yes, then I need to say yes to this because I can't lose my power. Because that's what my mom and my grandma taught me is like, my power as a woman is saying yes. My power as a woman is getting men to have sex with me. So if I'm going to maintain any power, I have to let this happen. I have to be okay with this because I that's my only option. And so I don't stop him. I don't say no. I don't do anything to kind of make it clear that this isn't what I want. The reason it's still rape is that there was no original consent. A girl falling, a person, a human being falling asleep on your couch is not consent. Um, it's something that I stuffed 
down for a really long time. I didn't come to terms with the fact that it was rape until I was 18, a full four years later. And then literally, so a few hours later, my parents are calling me. They're fucking furious. They wake up. I'm not there. They're mad. I have to figure out how to get back. They won't come pick me up or anything. I have to take the bus back. Um, And so I keep telling them I miss my bus and that I'm just staying longer because I don't feel like I have any other choice. And um, he's like leaving to walk me to the bus stop and we like go to a McDonald's or something and Austin's there. And it was just like so awkward because it was like so... Like, I walk in with Mason, which is, like, already weird. And, like, Austin's there with his friends. And he kind of, like, plays it off. And Mason is, like, smiling, like, cat with a canary. Like, shit-eating grin, smile. And it's, like, Austin, I think, guessed that something had happened. And I wasn't, like, too torn up about that. Austin and I ended up being on and off for, like, a really long time, actually. But... Um, we get past this, but that was just like weird. And it was just like weird. And then after that initial thought of like, I can't lose my power, so I can't say no. I shut off all thinking about it. So I don't consciously think about the fact that I like that. That was my thought process until I was 18 and I start working through it with my therapist. So like, It all just becomes kind of like, this is what a normal relationship is. This is what normal is. This is what's okay. Because I have no other, like, I'm in such denial about what has happened that I can't admit to myself or anybody that anything else happened. Was that, was that when you lost your virginity? That's my, that was my first sexual experience. I went from literally heavy petting over clothes to sex in a month so this is my first sexual experience add that to the covert sexual abuse that i experienced from year for years from my mother and my grandmother this experience so i'm having some weird fucked up views about sex and relationships at this point so i start high school i'm 14 i start high school i make some new friends and I become very close with this girl and her dad is living with his girlfriend and her son has a friend who's renting a room in their house I'm so this is I guess I'm 15 now this is January Of my freshman year. So I've turned 15. And I'm spending the night at my friend's house. This boy who's renting a room. His name is Felix. I'm half asleep in my friend's room. Or on the couch. I don't remember. And he um, comes in and he's like, hey, do you want to see something really cool? I'm like, sure, whatever. He's 22. I'm 15. He's kind of like, you know, big brother-ish, I guess. Because he's like, you know, 
that's just how the dynamic had always been. He's like, yeah, sure, come here. Come in my room. Like, like I want to show you something cool. I go in, and he pulls his pants down. Closes the door, pulls his pants down. And he's like, you need to put it in your mouth. And again, <laughs> if I don't want to lose my power, I can't say no. He's blocking the door. How, like, I genuinely didn't know I had an option. And he phrased it as a command. You need to put it in your mouth. So I get on my knees and then, you know, he rapes me. Um, there's, again, I don't ever say no. There's no fight. There's no... Whatever you'd want that people want women to do when they're raped. There's none of that. Um, there's just this, like exhausted acceptance so this quote-unquote relationship with him goes on for six months it got to the point at the end where if I said I don't want to walk the half mile to your house at two o'clock in the morning to have sex he would tell me that he'd kill my brother or that he'd burn my house down or he would tell me that he'd make sure I didn't like it and that there would be a punishment for next time and that the sex would just be painful and non-enjoyable. Eventually, I tell my parents. My father is furious. My mother is furious. My mother is furious at me my father is furious at the world we get a restraining order I choose not to press charges because it would be practically impossible to do anything like that I never said no so to add so while all this is going on with Felix I'm experiencing I experience the single most painful thing of my life. I experience the worst heartbreak I've ever felt in my entire life. So I guess I met Felix earlier. I guess it must have been November of my freshman year. And then in January. My dad protected me from my mom. And part of that meant that... He took a lot of shit from her that was meant for me. He stood up to her for me a lot. And it broke him. He broke. So January of 2009, he leaves for three days. We have no idea where he is. We have no idea what's going on. We don't know if he's alive. We have no idea. He leaves us notes that we thought were suicide notes. And he was just gone for three days. He comes back. He's not dead. And it's like, but his soul had died. My 
dad had died. And all that was left was just this, like, shell of a person who I didn't know anymore. And I tried to talk to him and I tried to ask him, like, what had happened and what was going on and, like, why he left and he, like, wouldn't talk to me. And so I invited him to a therapy session. At which point I start crying in this session and... I've never cried like that in my life. It was heart-wrenching sobs. It was heartbreak like I've never felt before in my life. It was agonizing. Um, It was horrible. And my dad, who up until this point would hold me in his lap anytime I needed to cry, the man who would brush my hair every morning, he looked at my therapist and he said, I've seen this before. This is just an act. She just wants attention. And that's when I knew that my dad was gone and that I was never getting him back and that my person was gone (laughs) because I didn't have, my mom was never there for me. Nobody was ever there for me except my dad, and now he was gone. And I remember my therapist, like, I'm literally doubled over, hacking, crying, sobs. And my therapist says, no, I think this is real. This is real. This is something she's feeling and experiencing. And he said, no, she's just... She does this. She's like her mother. And I made my mom come get me. I made my mom come drive me home. I didn't want to get in the car with him. I actually didn't speak to him for two more years. Like, genuinely, we lived together. I didn't say a word to him for two years. And... That was the worst heartbreak of my life. That was the most painful thing I've ever had to go through. And no person, man, whatever could ever break me the way that broke me. So I'm just been raped by some 16-year-old idiot. I'm in the process of being manipulated into sex and regularly raped by some 22-year-old idiot. And honestly, it didn't fucking matter because I always thought I had my dad in the cor- in my corner and then suddenly he was gone. And I didn't give a fuck about anything anymore. I shattered I broke that was the end of everything for me that was I we end up getting a restraining order against Felix he stops bothering me I proceed to have a lot of sex in a lot of very dangerous ways with a lot of different boys it's all pretty much a blur I'm self-harming a lot. I'm broken. And the most dangerous part of it all is 
my mom becomes the most important person in my life. I have nobody to, I feel like I have nobody to turn to except the woman who'd been abusing me my whole life. So I be start trying desperately to make sure she doesn't abandon me either because I couldn't take it. I wouldn't be able to do it if I, because even though I didn't really like her, she was still my mom. And now that my dad was gone, I needed her to be there because I was still just a scared fucking little girl who needed her daddy. And I didn't have that. So I turned to my mom who ate it up. She would constantly push me and push me until I broke and then would punish me for breaking and then she would tell me all the time that her mother and her had a falling out and that her mother and her grandmother had a falling out and that it meant that it was inevitable for us to have a falling out because of intergenerational transmission but it was always my job to apologize and my job to fix the relationship so because that's what she was taught and that's what she taught me that it was never her fault it was mine And that's why I frequently refer to my dad in the past tense, especially the person I grew up with, because my dad and I have a better relationship now, but my dad is gone. And my mom broke him. And that's something that I recently came to terms with and something that hurts so much is that she just pushed him and pushed him and pushed him and also knowing that like she pushed him so hard because he stood up for me so much and that if he hadn't been protecting me so much he probably wouldn't have like gotten it so bad from her do we need a minute yeah Would you like to be our next guest? Email us at BeMyBeardPodcast at gmail.com. Give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, and let us know what you'd like to hear. Support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash BeMyBeardPodcast. Theme by the marvelous Wayne Jetski. We'd also like to give a special thanks to Miles Mitchell, our lovely editor. We would like to give a fabulous thank you to Quinn Whiting, our new social media manager. Welcome to the team. All rights reserved. We would like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on this journey. Follow your heart. And be the best you can be.